This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. You ever have a storyline uh, of a movie that just grabs your attention that you just got to go see it? You ever have a book title that just kind of jumps out at you, so you've got to read it? There's a little book uh, called Praying for Your Prodigal by Kyle Eidelman that did that for me last year. Being the father of a prodigal, uh, it really jumped out at me in the sense of, you know, if you're a parent of a prodigal son or daughter, if you're married to a prodigal, if you've got a prodigal for a sibling, what are you supposed to do with that? How are you supposed to deal with that? How are you supposed to wait? How are you supposed to love? What's your role in that? And so um, I've got many friends who have prodigal kids. We've got many parishioners here uh, that's got prodigal kids, uh, kids that have left the family or left the faith or left the values and the hopes and dreams that we really sense God has for them. And it's a hard place to be. Now, we get the word prodigal, of course, in the prodigal son story of Jesus, how that uh, Jesus told the story of the prodigal son and the elder son. And we're going to look at that story today. But as we do that, I, I hope that we can look at this in two different dimensions. Sure, I want you to be thinking about what it means to be a part of the family of God. I, I want us to get very clearly what it means to have our Heavenly Father welcoming us home and what it means to be either the elder brother or the younger brother in the story. But I also want to say that there's another dimension here that I hope really resonates with you, and that's what's it like to be a part of prodigal families? Because what Jesus does in this story is he takes a story right out of the slice of life, and he says that the kingdom of God is like this, like these family relationships. And so in the same way, um, there's a double meaning here of what God wants us to understand, what it means to be a child of God and what it means to be a part of this human family and biological relationships, especially in families that are difficult, especially where members of the family are dysfunctional at best. So as we do that today and as we prepare to read from the Gospel of Luke, I want to remind you that Jesus tells this story along with two other stories in response to criticism. He's being criticized for hanging out, eating, drinking with the sinners, with those who mess up. And so it's in response to that criticism by the religious leaders themselves that Jesus tells this story. Then Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. 
He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am not worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead, and he has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. Wow, what a story. Let's look at the three main characters of this story as we… Uh, there's a portrait of uh, Rembrandt that uh, Rembrandt painted 500 years ago, depicting the father and the younger son and, and the older brother. Who's the father in the story? Obviously, that ultimately, that the father in the story is God, right? The father is the one who loves freely. The father, God, is the one who gives so extravagantly his love. The father is, is the God that we know, that we've experienced in Jesus Christ who who's, lets us rebel who gives us the freedom to go ahead and make our own choices and who, who wants to be in relationship with us, who, who longs to be in relationship with us, who, who's waiting, who, who painfully waits at times and, and is ready for us to come home. But, you know, the father in the story can also be any mother or any father today who's had their son or their daughter leave the faith or leave the family, 
or become something very different than who they really truly are, who's become disrespectful, who's engaging in in all kinds of uh, narcissistic behavior. And through his total or her total disregard to the family, doesn't seem to care. I mean, if you're one of those parents, you can identify with the father. There's the kid brother. There's the younger son. There's the one that goes out and does these things. Who's the younger son in Jesus' story? Well, obviously, he represents those sinners that Jesus hangs out with. He represents uh, those who are, uh, are on the outside of what's termed respectful in society or culture. He's, he represents those who've really messed up in their life for those who've done reckless things to those who have been devastating to the family, to those who've gone the distant country way. Uh, And he also can represent any son or daughter, any brother or sister, maybe any spouse, any dear friend that you've been a part of their life, you've blessed them, you love them, And yet, man, that person you knew, that person seems to have gone. They're no longer with us. What happened here anyway? And the elder son, who does he represent? Obviously, in the story, the elder son are the religious leaders themselves. Jesus speaks this story to them and about them. They're the scribes and the Pharisees. They represent, the elder son represents anyone who's religious in a sense that they're condemning and moralistic and holier than thou. In biological families, the elder son can be any one of us who's kept our nose clean and left hanging the bag and had more stuff put on us and responsibilities while our sibling or siblings mess up and mess up and mess up and create a lot of pain and havoc for the family. Which one of these persons best describes you? Let's go a little deeper in the story. So the younger son says to his dad, I want out of here and I want the, I want the inheritance now. It's like he's saying to him, I'd just rather see see you dead so I can get what's coming to me. And the striking, surprising, shocking thing that Jesus says in this story is that the father lets him have it. Now, Jesus is not teaching us parents today to just give our kids whatever they want whenever they want it. That's not the point of the story. But Jesus is giving us an illustration of what our Father in heaven, our God, has done for us, who's given us so freely the gift of life, the blessings of life, grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. And in His extravagant love, how often you and I can take advantage of that or not appreciate that or do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. 
it, it's, it's a striking story, isn't it? About how the father is willing to let all his kids, all of us on this planet, make horrific decisions. And you know, it must break God's heart that we turn around and we blame God for all the wounds and the hurts and all the injustices in this world. When God gives us choices and we turn around and blame him, golly. So the kid leaves home. The younger brother leaves home. You know the story. He lives it up recklessly. But when his money runs out and his friends run out and his famine hits the land and he doesn't have any food to eat, he comes to his senses. He comes to his senses. Do you know the, the number one motivating factor to have a spiritual awakening? What would you say is the number one factor that helps people stop and look at their life and change? Tragedy. When we run out of options, right? <laughs> when, we're at, when we've played all that we can play. So Eidelman in that little book I was talking about makes this observation that it was only when things got really bad, really hard, that the son finally had a spiritual awakening. This seems to be common in so many of our stories that we finally turn to God when we feel like we have no other choice. Ever been there, done that? The number one contributor to spiritual growth is difficult circumstances. Aha, aha moments come out of suffering, setbacks, consequences, and challenges in life. And so this is a hard word for us parents. Uh, it's a hard word for helicopter parents who want to hover over our kids and make sure they're all right. Or for snowplow parents that want to clear the deck and clear the path and make everything good and wonderful and as easy as possible for our kids. This is a hard word. But sometimes the best thing we can do while loving them and rooting for them and cheering for them and waiting for them is to help them face the consequences of their own actions. What strikes me in this story is the father loves freely and gives freely, but also relinquishes the son to his own choices all the while hoping that he comes home. There was a pastor who uh, posted on Facebook and asking his Facebook friends to complete this sentence. I stopped running from God when? And his friends posted these responses. I stopped running from God when it became clear that I had made a mess of things or when I hit rock bottom or when she filed for divorce. I stopped running from God when I heard myself say the words, I'm an alcoholic. The pregnancy test came back positive. The path that I was on came to a dead end. 
I stopped running from God when I woke up in a hospital after an overdose, when I was in the back seat of a police car, when I was fired for embezzlement. The affair was discovered, or I realized I had nowhere else to go. How would you complete the sentence? I stopped running from God when? Well, what's amazing about this story is that the son comes to himself. He comes to his senses when he's out of options, and he decides to come home. And he makes his speech. He's got it figured out, what he's going to say to his father. You know, the Jerry Maguire movie where Jerry comes home and the gal says, you had me at hello. In the story, the prodigal son, he doesn't even have to say hello. Father sees him a long way off, and he doesn't wait for him. He runs to him and embraces him and welcomes him. And when the son starts giving his speech, his confession, his sin sincere confession. He's not even interested in hearing the words. He interrupts him. He says, quick, put the robe on and get the ring. Put the sandals on his feet. Throw a party. And you know, the cool thing about this story, one of the many cool things I think is that when the son comes home, the father wants to throw a party and he invites his friends, his friends. He wants anyone that wants to come and celebrate the party of forgiveness and mercy. That, that the fact that his, his son was lost in his back. You know, if you're a prodigal father or mother today, and you're in that waiting, holding period, and you, don't, you may not even know where your son and daughter is physically, or you may, um, you certainly have a sense that they're up to no good or... or the best thing you can do is to share that burden with a few folks at least and people who will pray with you, people who will walk with you, people who will support you. And so when your son or your daughter comes home, you can celebrate and you can throw a party and you can invite all those people because they've been in on the suffering and they've helped you walk the journey. <clears throat> I love the idea that the father can't help himself but throw a party. Well, it doesn't end there, does it? There's the elder brother. The elder brother, again, represents those religious leaders, those, those harsh and hard judgmental attitudes. Uh, anyone who has a sense of bitterness or resentment or someone that has a holier-than-thou kind of attitude toward people that really mess up in their lives. The elder son also can represent any sibling in any family. And you've watched your sibling do a lot of havoc to the family. You've watched your sibling mess up and blow through some of your parents' finances. You've seen the pain that's produced. And friends, 
There is a lot of elder abuse in our culture. And it's a healthy thing to have some healthy sense of skepticism about a sibling or someone that says, okay, this time I, I really mean it. And you don't need someone to quote a lot of Bible verses at you. But you also need, as an elder brother or sister, to guard your heart and really watch out for resentment and bitterness. And, and to, to at least ask the questions when your sibling is continuing to mess up. What will it bring? What will bring change in their lives? What, what will cause them to repent or change? What will lead them to stop and rethink their life? Those are the questions that you raise, and those are the thoughts that you have, and that's the longing that fills your prayers as you're still for them and not against them. But the elder son in the story of Jesus is angry and resentful and bitter. Even though two-thirds of the inheritance is his, even though everything the father has is his, uh, he just can't get in on the party. And he does represent for us good, long-time, church-going Christians who've always lived the good, moral, straight life. But friends, we need the grace and mercy and love and forgiveness of God as much as anybody else. That while some people sin in the horrific things that they do, some of us sin by the good that we fail to do. The compassion that we lack and the love and the mercy that we extend to other people. And we begin to understand that whoever we are in the story, we are all at the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of this God. This God who I love in the way that Timothy, Timothy Keller puts it in the prodigal God story, that Jesus is the true elder brother. Think about it. Jesus is the elder brother. Jesus is the first begotten of the Father who leaves the Father's house and comes to the distant country, this earth, to seek and to save all of us who are lost. Jesus is the fatted calf that is sacrificed and given up for the forgiveness of our sins. How do we ever begin to respond to the extravagant grace of God? So this morning in this series that we're calling Actions Speak Louder, we're asking everyone to, to, to respond in each message with some action. This morning, you were given in your bulletin an insert. I'd like for you to pull it out right now. And I'd like for you to consider doing one of two things in the next few moments. 
Well, one of those things is to, is to consider writing a prayer. You, you may be the prodigal, and uh, you may want to write a prayer to God as the prodigal that wants to come home. And you just need to say, I'm sorry, or I was wrong. But remember in the story, the father's not too interested in hearing the words anyway. It's, there's no magic words here, but it's just, it's just honesty. Uh, uh, bringing yourself around to come into your senses. Uh, that's what it means. Or you may want to write a prayer as a prodigal father or mother. And you need to get your thoughts out there. And you need to be able to express your heartache to God. God understands what it's like to be a prodigal father or mother. And to lay out your petitions and your hopes and your dreams of what you still want for your son or your daughter. You may want to may write, that, write that prayer. On the other hand, you may want to write a letter. And that's on the other side of the sheet. And the letters to your prodigal son or daughter, a letter to your prodigal sibling. And in that letter, you may want to write about your own regrets. You may want to write about some special memories. You may want to write about uh, how you miss them, how you want them to come home. You know, the first time I ever wrote a letter like this, it, it, I would never send it. Some letters you send, some letters you don't. It's amazing what healing can happen through prayers and letters. So this morning, I want to give you a few moments to do that before we go into a time of Holy Communion. And during communion, you can, if you want to, you can take your prayer and you can put it in the cracks in the prayer wall here or at Renovate. And other people will come alongside and they will pray over those prayers with you because I, I really know there's power when other people join us in our prayers and those prayers will be raised as incense to God. You may want to keep it with you. You may want to think about that letter that you need to write right now to your prodigal. Let's take a few moments in silence and begin to do that right now. 